0: Hey, crosswalk. Thanks. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. Glad that you've chosen to join us. Hope you're well. So welcome. Want to also welcome our online audience uh, that's watching from all over the world and uh, obviously across many time zones. And so we want to recognize you and and you are an important part of our community as well. So hey, hope you're well. We are in uh, week three of our Momentum uh, series. And uh, last week... Pastor Tim talked about how big things have small beginnings, right? How momentum starts with small things and it builds. You know, it may be a conviction that uh, starts in the heart. It might be some courage that you have to build up. It may even be some competencies that develop as it starts small. And the illustration that Pastor Tim used last week was the story of the shepherd boy, David. You might remember how little by little uh, his life built some momentum as he took that sling and practiced while he was watching his sheep and maybe against a tree or a rock but eventually against threats against the sheep, you know, some animals that were coming and then eventually that built enough competency, enough courage in his life where he was willing to go and face the giant of his life and then beyond. As we read the story of David, and uh, he became king and dealt with all kinds of challenging things. So uh, it's important to understand that momentum starts, Starts big things happen with small things. And I was trying to explain that to my dad this week. Now, uh, My dad is 98 years old, and uh, yeah, yeah, actually he'll be 99 next month, uh, unbelievable. And... And he's a pretty good health, but he doesn't speak a lot of English. And so I'm trying to explain to him, he's like, you're preaching this week? I'm like, yes. What are you preaching on? Uh, preaching on momentum. He's like, what? He actually said, que? Uh, and, 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 and I'm like, momentum, momentum. I'm thinking for the Spanish word, impulso. Impulso, dad. I'm speaking on impulso. And and. Uh, uh, you know, I knew this was coming because I don't know about your dads, but, you know, dad has these sayings that he has said all through my life, right, that keep kind of coming into my head when I, some prompt comes. You know, there are these little statements, these, these little axioms, these little pithy statements that he has. And I knew as soon as I said impulso, he was going to say one of those. And he did. He did not disappoint. He says para atrás ni para coger impulso. Which translated means, you know, you don't kind of roughly, you don't take a step back to gain momentum. And I thought, you know, it doesn't fit exactly, but it really, it does make sense. As I thought about it, momentum is best gained moving forward. So what does that look like in our lives as individuals and in the life of the church? As I was reading again through the text for today in Hebrews, I was reminded that the uh, authors of the New Testament use the word ecclesia to describe faith communities, to describe you know, church. Uh, ecclesia is the, the Greek word that's translated into church in our Bibles. And it means assembly. It means uh, a gathering. It means a movement. And it often starts small, has small beginnings with people with a God-given vision and we are seeing that in our own crosswalk ecosphere and community as not only our campuses continue to grow, but small Lovewell groups are being planted Again, these small groups being planted all over the place. We've mentioned Sacramento and the Saddle Myers there. And Sacramento, California have a Lovewell group. We've talked about the Woodlands, which is in the Houston, Texas area. And there's a group developing there. And I'm thankful for Ben and for Sandra and their leadership there. I think about the Gearings in Sonora, Central California, and a small group that's developing there. And it just reminds me that momentum starts with a couple of people with a God-given vision, with some conviction that something needs to happen for God, conversations that then kind of develop, courage that builds, and then inevitably traction takes place and it becomes a community. It becomes a movement. So today I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a little bit about how a community of belonging, a place where all are welcome, accepted, and loved, like Aaron just testified to, Right? a community that accepts people where they are in their journey, that kind of community, if you can create it, it accelerates momentum. The second thing I want to talk about is about the obstacles, the, the barriers, the things that, that weigh us down, the things that slow us down. And the primary uh, text that we're going to look at is in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, the text for the series on Momentum is Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. But there's a lot in there, and today I want to just look at verse 1. Verse 1 has three things that I want to focus on that I think will be helpful as we explore this topic further. Here's what the text says, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded with a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, then we should lay aside every weight that slows us down, especially sin that easily trips us up, and then let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Three things in this one verse that help us to understand how momentum works. Three things that help us to understand how momentum develops in our own lives and in the life of the church. Now the text starts with the word therefore, meaning uh, for that reason or for this reason, or because of what I just told you. And if you're picking up your Bible and looking at verse one of chapter 12, or you're opening it in your app on your phone, uh, you're saying, well, wait a second, this is verse one. What is he talking about? What's the reason that he's referring to? Now, some of you know this, and that is that the Bible was not written originally in English. It was written in ancient languages, right? It was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament with a little Aramaic uh, language sprinkled in, and it was written then, the New Testament, in Greek. And these uh, languages have no punctuation. It's a little strange for us who are, you know, going to high school, you know, got to know our grammar, our punctuation, capital letters, etc., cetera, sentence structure. Here, there's no punctuation. It's not divided as we have it now in chapter and verse. And most interesting to me is that the, it was written from right to left. Now, we read and write from left to right, and I always wonder, well, what happened? Why was it right to left and then changed left to right? Come to find out it was a neatness thing. Yeah, you heard that right, neatness. Your mom was right all the time. You know, neatness is next to godliness, or is that cleanliness? Same thing, right? So, so it, was, it was because there was more smudging if you went from right to left, and so the reason we went from left to right was, again to provide kind of a neater manuscript in those days. The point being is that as the letters were written, they were written much like we used to write letters uh, back in the day, or at least I did. You know, you'd write them by hand, pages long to that loved one, and you'd put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, send it you know, wait three months, hopefully, to get a reply. And if you didn't get one, then you knew that, you know, there was a problem. (laughs) That relationship was over. And so, you know, that was kind of part of of the way that it worked. And so uh, it was written much like we would have written a letter back uh, a few years back with these markers, with this chapter and verse added so that we could easily find our place in a long letter. Because a lot of these letters, I mean, they're just... Really long uh, written to communities, and so to find the place, these uh, divisions were inserted. Now, the problem is that the translators, as much as they tried to do a great job there, sometimes put the divisions in a place where it stopped the, the thread or the, the, the way of thinking, and, and sometimes it prevented us from seeing the conversation from one chapter to another. So to know what's going on in verse 1 of chapter 12, we have to look back to see what's happening in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now for some, that may ring a bell, because Hebrews 11 is known as the yeah, faith, the faith, faith chapter, right? It's known as the faith chapter, or as I like to call it, the hall of faith. And when I think of a hall of faith, I think of halls of fame. And I love sports, so I automatically think about sports halls of fame and didn't realize that there's about two to 300 halls of fame out there. There's a hall of fame for everything. I didn't know that. Automotive things, I mean there's categories under automotive that the automotive halls of fame, aviation has halls of fame, music of course has a lot of halls of fame, especially you know, my personal favorite, polka hall of fame. Yeah, the polka hall of fame is big, real big. And then there's one in California, there's a California hall of fame, there's, oh this was my favorite, insurance salesman's hall of fame. Yeah, like that—that's got to be a, a you know an exciting gathering. And again, sorry, uh, insurance sellers can we beat that out? So, insurance Hall of Fame. Candy has a Hall of Fame. I got to believe Snickers has got to be in there because I love Snickers. But my favorite are sports, and I've had the opportunity to visit quite a few of the halls of fame. Hall of Fame. Love baseball, so been to Cooperstown, New York, love football, been to Canton, Ohio, love basketball, been to Springfield, Massachusetts, and most recently had a chance to go to the Golf Hall of Fame. Yeah, I love to play golf, and so I went to the Golf Hall of Fame. It's in St. Augustine, Florida, and not too long ago, again, a couple years ago, went through it. Man, I was excited. I was reading about all the greats of golf, all their stories, all their accomplishments, everything that, you know, that had brought them and, and prompted people to choose them to enter into the Hall of Fame, to be selected. And then I got to the end, and I realized, hey, there's no Tiger Woods in there. Now, you may not be a golfer, but you've probably heard the name Tiger Woods, and uh, Tiger Woods is a well-known golfer, uh, still today, who has had many accomplishments. Some would say he's at least one of the best uh, golfers uh, in the history of the sport, and he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. So I went to, you know, the guru, the guy at the desk who has all the answers to all the questions that people have, and I said, hey. Where's Tiger Woods? What's, what's the story here? And he said something that, that kind of left me thinking. He said, you, there's an age requirement. You have to be 50 years old to get into the Golf Hall of Fame. And then he said, oh, by the way, uh, next year they're changing it to 45 because guess who's turning 45, right? Tiger. So they did change it for that. But here's got, kind of what got me thinking, and that is the reason they had it at 50, in that age, was there needed to be enough of a body of evidence, there needed to be enough accomplishments, there needed to be enough evidence to be able to be selected into a hall of fame. Same thing goes with the hall of faith. Just like the hall of fame has the greatest players enshrined in it, Hebrews 11 is the list of the greatest men and women in the history of Christian faith. And uh, as you go through the list, you see names like Enoch and Abraham and Jacob and Sarah and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel, and the list goes on. But here's kind of the thing uh, about this. Anytime that this letter was written or those, uh, it was read, those names would bring stories into the minds of the listeners or the readers. Maybe it's done the same for you, right? You think of the name of Jacob or Abraham, and it brings a story into your mind. Maybe Moses or or Rahab or Samson or David. Stories would come into their minds that would then confirm the fact that they were men and women of great faith. By the way, I'm really thankful that these individuals also had a lot of struggles, (laughs) You know, I'm really thankful that they didn't have a perfect life, that they didn't live a perfect life. In fact, some of them, you would say, were pretty extreme and kind of heading in the opposite direction of God. And yet here they are in the hall of faith. And that brings hope and, and encouragement into my life, which is why the author here says that, hey, we have this crowd of witnesses, of, of people who have lived a life of faith, not a perfect life, but a life of faith, and here's what it looks like. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, man, that's a long time ago. (laughs) Those people existed way, way in the past, so uh, I don't know if I can identify. And I want to say, remind us, that there are people of faith in every faith community. There are people of faith who have... in in each church, in each community that have great faith story of how God has been faithful to them in the past. And these stories, as we tell them, as we hear them, just like was shared. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing that story today uh, of how God has moved. That story, those stories build momentum. See, this is momentum to what God can do in the future, because if he's done this in the past— he, can surely will continue to, he will surely continue to be faithful in the future. So I reflect uh, on, on that. I, I ask this question, who has impacted your faith journey? You know, as you kind of think about where you are in your journey with God, who has impacted it? Because I'm guessing there's at least, each of you has at least one person in your life that has impacted you in a powerful way towards God or you wouldn't be here. You know, for me, several come to mind. Uh, my mom is at the top of the list. My mom passed about five and a half years ago, and uh, that was a big loss for our family because she was a pillar of faith. Since my childhood, since I was a, uh, as far back as I could remember, I remember sitting on her lap or sitting on the, on the sofa or in the bed, uh, and she would read to me stories of faith from Scripture. She would... Helped me to memorize Scripture, she would tell me of her own faith journey, including the failings that she felt she had as a parent uh, uh, and and as a person, and saying, you know, God is still with us. And and it was a tremendous impact as I grew up. Uh, Unfortunately, over the last few years of her life, you know, she developed Alzheimer's disease, and it was a bit painful to, to spend time with her when, she, you know, she didn't recognize me, her oldest son, firstborn son. And that, that was a tough thing. But, you know, I was amazed how in every conversation she would say, do you know Jesus? Are, are you a man of faith? Uh, you know, she didn't know who I was. Nice to meet you. I, I wonder she was still a witness until the end. You know, and I think about communities like ours that are filled with stories like that. And that's why community accelerates momentum. When you get in a crowd and in a community of believers that bind together, that tell their stories, that are faithful to the mission that God has given, uh, and for us, the way that we say it is, you know, we must love well. That's a non-negotiable for us. And loving well means you love God and you love people. You don't do one or the other. They're a package deal. They come together. They're part A and B. They're inseparable. You don't and can't really love God if you don't love people. Not that people are always lovable, but, right, that's the deal. And when we do that, right, when we do that, it builds momentum. Now... The author of Hebrews, which traditionally is believed to be the Apostle Paul, there are some disagreements about that, some think maybe Paul did write it, but it was written by Luke, others think maybe there was somebody else who scribed it. a uh, traditional view is that Paul wrote it, and Paul says, look, I want to remind you that we have this crowd of witnesses, people who have experienced God, who understand what life with God is all about, who understand that life with God, as I like to say, is better than life without Him, and this brings momentum into our Christian life. So my question also then turns to the other side of that, right? Because there are people that are faith builders, and then there are other people whose words and actions sometimes stop, slow down, derail the momentum that God wants to have in your life. Do you have anyone in your life that is a barrier to your life with God? Paul puts it this way. He says, if you do, whether it's a person or something else, lay aside every weight that slows us down. Let's lay it down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Ever run a race? As a kid, I loved to run. I loved to move into a new neighborhood. We used to move around quite a bit because my dad was a pastor, and in those days pastors got moved a lot. And, and so I remember uh, moving into a new neighborhood one summer when I was, I don't know, maybe nine or ten, and I couldn't wait to race with the other kids because I loved to race. Now I have to tell you, I was lightning fast. Yeah, yeah, lightning fast. No one could hang with me. Not the younger kids that maybe had shorter legs, not the older uh, boy who maybe was a little overweight, not the girls who were pretty fast but seemed to stop and smell the flowers. I, I always won. I always won. Have you ever run a race? I remember uh, when the school year uh, started, I, I couldn't understand it. I wasn't as fast as I was in the summer. A mystery still to me. But... Uh, but I determined to get my blinding speed back, and so in those days you could get these ankle weights at Sandinum or something with these leather straps and the eyelets. And you would strap it to your leg, right? You would put these. This is before the invention of, of Velcro, so that tells you how old I am. But you know, it, it, you could get those so that you could train with them, so that you could run with them, walk with them, and the idea was that when you took them off, you would feel lighter. Right, you could run faster, you can jump higher. Paul's using one of his favorite metaphors here. He says, lay aside every weight. Paul also loved racing. He loved the metaphor of racing. He spent a lot of time in Greece, and in particular in Corinth. uh, And I happened to have the opportunity to be there a year, almost exactly a year ago, standing in Corinth. You know, I had landed in Athens, which is in the Greek mainland, taken kind of uh, traveled across the Isthmus, which is this narrow piece of land that leads to the Pen- Peloponnesian uh, Peninsula where Corinth was up on a hill and could see, you could see for miles, and you could see that Isthmus, and there was where they held the Isthmus, Isthmian Games every two years. The Olympics were also started there as well. So Paul would see all these people, he was a tent maker, You would see all these people coming in for the Ithnian games uh, to train and he would provide housing for them by building one of being one of the tent builders and they would come in and these runners uh, for training would wear weights just like we do today and and did years ago. But here's the thing, at race time they would take the weight off. They didn't run the race with the weight. (laughs) They would take them off. Now why wouldn't they keep the weight on during the race? Slowed them up it weighed them down. And that's the question that bears asking, what weighs you down? See, to run the race, we must lay down anything that weighs us down. For some, it may be the, the, the racing towards things, uh, possessions, stuff. You know, we get kind of caught up in that and it distracts us. We lose momentum with God because we're so focused on acquiring. Um, I love a, a saying I heard some years ago is, I can acquire, I admire without having to acquire. I like that saying, right? And the idea is that those things shouldn't slow us up. Other things that can weigh us down are unhealthy patterns uh, in our lives. And the example that comes to mind is Samson, one of the individuals who was on the hall, in the Hall of Faith. Right? Sanson had everything going for him. He had good looks. He had strength. He had beautiful long hair. He had the blessing of God. Did I mention beautiful long hair? Man, he had everything going for him, right? Uh, And yet he entered into some patterns of life that prevented him from achieving the momentum that God wanted for him since his birth. You know, sometimes it's people. That weigh us down. I hate to say it because, you know, that's a sensitive topic. uh, But people sometimes slow the momentum of God in our life or completely derail it. Uh, I think of the proverb uh, in in Proverb thirteen twenty that says, "He who walks with the wise is wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm." And it's so true. Oftentimes we allow and associate with people who pull us in a direction away from God, and we lose the momentum that God wants to live uh, through us or to create through us. Sometimes it can be our emotions, right? We let our emotions get the best of us. Sometimes we get really stubborn, and we're not going to change no matter what, or we get really angry, and anger drives us to literally to madness, to poor decision-making, and And bad relationships come out of those things. Maybe it's an unforgiving spirit, I'm not going to forgive, and that weighs us down. Uh, Whatever it is, whatever it is that weighs you down, we have to lay it aside. Friends, this is it. This is not the practice run. This is the race. This is our one and only life. We're not practicing as we go through our lives. We don't get another shot at it. Which is why Paul says, lay aside what weighs you down. So what's preventing you from accelerating in your life with God? Because that's, Paul's pretty serious about this. Lay aside the weight, you know, especially that sin that easily trips us up, that heads us in the wrong direction. Uh, That stops momentum. The writer understands this. Paul understands how things, desire, people, certain patterns in our life can weigh us down. They can sink us. I love to scuba dive. I've had the opportunity to scuba dive uh, all over the world. And uh, man, there's nothing uh, like it. And I remember some years back though going with a buddy uh, to dive. And it was a uh, two-dive morning. We were going to two different sites. Uh, off the coast of, of Florida and uh, I remember going and, you know, we had our gear on, we did the first dive and everything went well and then, uh, you know, we got back on the boat, we were headed to the second site and we took off our equipment, you know, getting new tanks, took off our our BC, our buoyancy compensator, our weight belt, you know, and when we got to the new site, you know, we put all those on, checked everything, made sure we were good and the last thing to go on is the weight belt and I was sitting at the edge of the boat Guy came over, handed me the weight belt, I clipped it around me, he said, good to go, good to go to my buddy. Boom, we were down and into the water, and we were supposed to descend down to 60 feet to do a dive at about a 60-foot level because that's where the coral reef was that we were going to kind of dive, drift dive through. And so I remember hitting the water and looking for my buddy and realizing that I was sinking fast. Like, what is going on here? I mean, I was sinking like a... Like the, the old adage, right, Sinking thinking like a rock. I was just headed down fast. And I started kicking, you know, to kind of stop that downward uh, trajectory of, of sinking. And man, I was still sinking pretty quick. And, and I started to panic. And, and I grabbed my, my uh, you know, pump for my BC, which is, again, the buoyancy compensator, which kind of helps us. Uh, when we're trying to balance ourselves there and create some buoyancy under the water and, and it inflates and it expands. And that slowed down a bit, the sinking, the but I was still headed in the wrong direction. And so I started kicking and it took basically all that I had and I was kind of pointing up to my dive leader, dive master. I have to go back up and, and got to the top. And I was like, man, this was bad. And I come to realize that I had the wrong weight belt on had the weight belt of somebody that's more than twice my weight. He was over there bobbing up and down because he couldn't. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? All right, he couldn't sink for anything. And, and I, I almost sank to the bottom. I'm like, man, I could have died. This was serious kind of thing. And then the dive master said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, if it got bad, you should have just unclipped the weight belt. Just let it drop. Like, eh. And we're like that, right? We have certain things that weigh us down. And we don't want to unclip them. We don't want to lose it for whatever reason. That pattern of life, that possession, that person. We don't want to do that. Paul says, hey, lay it aside. Lay aside every weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily trips us up. And he says especially sin because it means it's not only sin that can trip us up. There are good things in our lives that can trip us up as well. That's another topic for another week. Uh, The reality is that we we need to lay aside that which can sink us. And then he says one other thing. He says, hey, let us run with endurance. Let us run the race that God has set before us. So to build momentum, we need to have people of faith around us. We need to belong to a community of faith where we can hear and be encouraged by the faith stories. Uh, we, We need to lay aside the weight that, we know is sinking us and uh, at least stopping the momentum that God wants in our lives, whether it's be possessions, people, patterns. And then he says, man, you got to run. you got to run. There's got to be some action. There's got to be some movement. So, so just run. And he says, run with endurance. Meaning, it's not a sprint. It's not the 100-yard dash. It's not one and done. It's not a once-a-week deal. It's with endurance, with sustained effort, with a focus, with a goal. And then he says also, hey, you got to run in the right direction. There's an old saying that says direction determines destination. Direction determines destination. The direction that we head in will inevitably lend us or lead us to the destination where we're headed. What is your destination? For some, they're running from God. Try not to maybe, but some run from God. Others run to God. There are those that have learned to run with God, and there are even some, well-meaning as they may be, who run ahead of God. What's your destination today? Where are you headed as you run with God? You know, I find it easier to be uh, committed when you belong to a community of belonging. it makes it a lot easier to journey with God when we're not doing it by ourselves. It's a lot easier to head in the right direction when we're in community and not on our own. And that's why I love the testimony and about the small groups, because that's the community that helps us stay even during the times where we might be focused elsewhere. Friends, Crosswalk Church is an ecclesia, it's an assembly, it's a gathering, it's a movement building momentum as a community of belonging, because we understand that we have a crowd of witnesses, past and present, and we understand that we must strive to lay aside those things that weigh us down, and we are committed to run, to run with endurance, to run for the long haul. That's my desire, and I pray that it's your desire as well. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are so patient. We continually hear testimonies like we did today from Aaron as to your patience and your goodness and your, your love for each one of us, no matter where we've been. I'm thankful to see that in the hall of faith there are individuals who made some, uh, some bad decisions, who brought some pain into their lives that maybe was unneeded or unnecessary, definitely unwanted. And we've all experienced that, Lord. And, and that pain... That is there, Lord, you promised to come and to journey with us and to help us move to the next stage of life with you. So may we commit today to live again each day with you and to uh, represent you well in everything we do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, Crosswalk, for being here today. And if you're needing to pray with somebody, there's always somebody up here that will be glad to pray with you after the service. Thanks also for your faithfulness, that's part of the journey as we journey with God. God grows us to the way that we give and so thank you for being faithful in your giving. It allows us to do the things that God wants us to do, is calling us to do here in this place. And then as you go out, as we always say, the best thing that we can do to represent God well is to love well. Thanks for being here. Have a great day.